0: Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact on the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit san diego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's san diego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on Season 2 of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. You're
1: yeah, really no. Caught. Every time I turn on Twitter, there's like seventeen Chargers logos that are like informing <laughs> you of something that happened with a eucalyptus in their neighborhood in Tierra Santa. And I'm,
2: yeah, it's, 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 we're the we're the we should name ourselves. Oh, oh my gosh, a new club. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice of San Diego. And I'm joined as always by Andrew Keats. He's Managing Editor at Voice of San Diego. What's up, Andy? Not much, man. How are you? I'm fellow Managing Editor, Andrea Lopez Villafaño. What's up, Lopez? Hey, Lewis. Coming up on the show this week, a new era at SANDAG. The regional transportation agency seems to be fracturing as board members from smaller cities with less voting power embark on a new protest strategy. We'll explain why they walked out of the last meeting and why it matters. And the city of San Diego has declared housing a human right. So what does that mean? We'll grapple with it and other housing updates. And finally, San Diego Unified teachers say the new grade for four-year-olds has been a mess. Our education reporter, Jacob McQuinney, will join us and give the latest on that story. That's all coming up. Stay with it. But first, couple of updates from our personal take universe. Start with you, Lopez. You did get your green bin. I did. Is it excited? You find a place for it?
3: Yeah, it's next to well, the big one, right? The the big one's next to our recycling bin. Um, it's humongous. It's it's gigantic. Um, and my little pail is in the freezer because I am a weird person who has a pretty empty freezer, I think.
2: Well, you just don't have kids. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the So you, you did the McKinsey, mm-hmm. put it in your freezer first mm-hmm. to keep it from smelling. Yeah. Did it work?
3: Yeah, it was like the perfect timing too because I had all these leftovers in my fridge that I was just going to throw out in the trash. And I was like, wait a minute, I have this little pail. I'll try it out. Um, and I'm also always trying to figure out what to do with all my leftover Union Tribune papers.
2: <laughs> oh, you can put paper. Yeah,
3: you can put like newspaper. So I, I kind so of So how do you it.
2: decide whether to put the newspaper in the recycling or in the mulch?
3: Well, I put it in my little bin to separate the, oh, like, the layers. La- layers of leftovers. Um, it was pretty exciting. I Wait, mean- <laughs> are you supposed to do that? I don't know. I don't. Is that not? I it don't says think newspaper. That's layer. It says newspaper on the, the layering
1: page. is is for the outside. Oh, yeah. When you put it out in the street. Okay. I don't think you need to layer in for
3: the little pail.
1: I don't think so. Okay.
3: Well, it was cool. It looked yeah. cool, and the paper was frozen. It was so order. It was orderly. <laughs> for was artsy. Yeah. yeah. There was layers of food. Was
2: Ulysses disgusted?
3: <laughs> no, he was just like, "Oh, you're doing it." And- <laughs> It's <laughs> like, yeah. I thought, look, this is- <laughs> I thought we had agreed th- <laughs> to not do that. <laughs> which is so funny because like he was so he was very much like, I we're just not doing that, I'm just not doing that, whatever, you know, and then I started doing it and it took a week to fill up my pail, which, you know, I guess is part of the reason like I don't have kids and also I don't cook very much. So I don't have like random food waste clippings. Um <laughs> so I filled it up in a week and then they came to pick up the trash and it was a little pail for like a gigantic bin. And so I just dumped my little pail in the bin and I rolled out my bin. And I guess he saw it in the morning and he was like, why would you roll out the entire large bin? Like, are we doing this now? I was like, yeah, leave, we're doing you this. You could leave
1: the little pail next to your next I your thought cycling, of doing that, but like then like a, I was
3: like, what if someone steals my pail? Yeah. I don't know. I don't it's think. it's very hilarious, but mm. everywhere in my neighborhood I see these like green bins. Some are still just out there like people haven't even pulled them <laughs> inside their properties. And then like a couple blocks from my house, there's an empty lot. Um it's just like overgrown grass. It used to be a house at some point, I'm sure. And then there's just like this giant green bin with <laughs> a little pail, and it's lonely, and I keep wanting to take a picture of it, but I keep forgetting. So, check out my Twitter for that later.
2: <laughs> All right, I have an update from one of my personal take universes, and that is uh, the trees. Mm -hmm. So we had a Santa Ana wind event on Thursday. We are experiencing it as we record. Awfully windy out. It's quite windy, and it's mildly disturbing just how windy it is. Mm -hmm. It's very windy. And they had to close and evacuate Balboa Park because of a public health emergency because so many trees were falling down, mostly, as the mayor said, mostly eucalyptus and I, I hate. Do you to, think he included that for you? <laughs> well, obviously, I think that. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. I don't know if he did, but I obviously think he did.
1: Like when they're preparing that, it could, would it be easier to just say some trees fell. Yeah. But he took a point to say mostly eucalyptus. Yeah. He's on,
2: he's on board with the eucalyptus hate. So yeah. these, these trees are bad. Mm-hmm. They start on fire really easily. Mm-hmm. They, uh, transfer fire really easily and then their branches fall all the time and they fall all the time and we have them everywhere and don't start with how good they smell I don't want to I don't want to hear it they are deadly how good does so, opium smell <laughs> is it odorless I don't know I don't know but if it was if it was full of great order we'd still be upset yeah about what it's doing to our community uh huh The Get It Done app is full of eucalyptus trees falling (laughs) everywhere. Palm trees also and their fronds just littering the sidewalks and our paths of transport, our rights of way. Yeah, It's our right to way through there. And they are blocking it. (laughs) So you're you're grappling
1: now with the reality that eucalyptus, non-native as they may be, are probably here to stay we're not really in a situation where we're going to rid this this region of ours from this with this of this species and you you just need to wrap your head around it's the best case scenario for you is just
2: to convey to people that they're a menace i just want everyone to see palm trees and eucalyptus trees and 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 hate them i just want them to <laughs> look at them and hate them and deny them whatever they can so if you, if you buy it if you buy a house it's on a canyon and there's four eucalyptus on there i want you to make a long-term plan we'll to, get rid, to to rid of those them at some down point eventually you know they block people's views they're just they're not good block people's views i don't know if that's your best <laughs> best case <laughs>
1: <laughs> deadly really packs a bad punch than that just, just stick with Jeff deadly <laughs> yeah. all right i'll stick with deadly right.
2: but yeah go out there I, pod fans and be part of this movement There's a scene in the office where Michael Scott's struggling with um, his debts.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And Creed says, hey, you should do bankruptcy. It's like, uh, it's like a witness protection program. You just get a clean mm-hmm. slate. And <laughs> what's that mm-hmm. other guy's name? He's like, no, it's not like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Michael Scott's like, very excited about declaring bankruptcy. So he, he emerges from the break room, opens the door, and says, I declare Bankruptcy! <laughs> and there's there's something just so perfect about that joke because it's like taking something literally that you can just, the, the, this idea that you can just say something and mm. it is so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like there's a lot of moments like that happening at the city of San Diego. And we saw that this week where the city of San Diego declared that Housing is a human right. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sean Elo Rivera is quoted. He's the president of San Diego City Council. He says, this resolution is an opportunity for us to commit to doing better for the community to hold us accountable to that commitment. I invite that accountability. So, Andy, I asked you mm-hmm. to grapple with this. Yeah. And and help me understand if the spectrum is 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 michael scott saying i declare bankruptcy yeah and in the middle of the spectrum is the climate action plan which is a version of that but with some vague enforcement it's like yeah it's a legally enforceable
1: document which over time we have come to understand is mostly a thought exercise
2: right and then the other side is is the actual filing of bankruptcy where you say, like, I cannot pay my debts, and you will and have to work out how I'll deal with that. Yeah, there are lawyers and things, yes. Yeah, so on the spectrum, where is the housing as a human right declaration? Uh, it's the Michael Scott, it's- Scott declaring bankruptcy. <laughs> what, did they, what did they do?
1: Uh, they did that, basically, yeah. They declared it. They declared it. So they took a vote. As a city council. As a city council to pass an official declaration That housing is a human right in San Diego. Mm -hmm. And I read through the supporting documents, the the staff report, and the resolution itself. And to my non-lawyer mind, there is nothing committed by this. This is an aspiration. This is a, a comment. This is a statement of their feeling about housing. We as a group feel this way. We This is how we feel about it. That okay. housing is a um, human and right. To be, so that's my read on it from reading these documents. And that appears to be the feeling of San Diego attorney Dan Eaton, who the Union Tribune showed these same things to and asked him to comment on whether there was any implied change in the law, any legal significance to this. And he said, quote, it is pretty clear it does not have any legal effect. End quote. Um, and so now, in fairness to the city council who's done this, their own comments don't necessarily suggest that this does anything. You quoted Shawnee Lo Rivera saying, um, "This is signaling our
2: intent to do sorts of cert- different sorts of things." So he's basically asking people like oh, us to say, "Like, hey, I th- you made this decision X." Yeah. I thought you thought that housing was a human right. If so, you would have done why? Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's about right.
1: I mean, look, I can I can read some of these this stuff that's in the the staff report that the council intends to use its legislative authority to center equity in its efforts to implement housing as a human right and redress past harms. Next bullet. Ensure those who have historically not had access to adequate housing are prioritized. Next bullet further incentivize affordable housing in high opportunity neighborhoods for those previously excluded. Next bullet point. And identify equitable and effective solutions by working with individuals with lived experience. Now, those things are all fine, but those things are also like, I think what they would argue are basically what they're doing already.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's, those are all like generalized descriptions of the policy efforts that they are more or less pursuing at the moment anyhow. Um, and so This is all along what it's of saying, no, there is no, certainly there is nothing on the order of actually declaring bankruptcy through your accountant, right? Uh, And it's not even like the climate action plan that has some plausible connection to a legal requirement. Now, I think it's like the climate action plan in that when the climate action plan was first proposed, when it was first going forward people would commonly describe it as this new piece of leverage that would be introduced and it would it would sort of be like tricking yourself into following a diet or tricking yourself into saving money where like left to your own devices you're not going to do these things so you create these like complicated arrangements that are going to make you follow
2: him yeah like it's like putting an angel on your shoulder who when that comes up you're gonna like remind you that you have to like do the right thing or whatever even if it's easier not to right and so like when the city council's package of tenant
1: protections which they had a discussion last year about and uh are expected to vote in the coming months after it goes through some some working there will be a marker that has already been set Mm -hmm. that sort of says well you you city council you my fellow eight members of the city council all voted with us that housing is a human right so you can't now say that you oppose these tenant protection ordinance like there's some like obligation to follow through on all of these components Steps. the question the problem is like i just don't
2: i don't think the track record of those sorts of things working is very good no no as a matter of fact we've A big theme of our show over the last few weeks has been us tracking the moments when it gets hard to do those things and they're like, well, nah. We're
3: not doing it.
2: (laughs) Nah. nah. Well, It's like, yeah, I have to put a quarter in the cuss jar every time I cuss, but like if I stub my toe, Mm -hmm. I'm still going to scream the F word. Right. Because it's when those moments get hard that that thing matters. It's easy to have a diet until you're hungry. Yeah, Exactly. And I think that's basically what we
1: have here. And it's just like the climate action plan. Like it was supposed to uh, obligate them to pass these plans that would conspire to achieve these outcomes. But then each time it was like, oh, this plan we got here doesn't do it. Should we start (laughs) over or just like pass it anyway and say we'll figure it out the next time? It's like, well, that's what you do. That's what (laughs) we've always get getting to it later. And so I just... um, It's a little frustrating because I, at the same time, they like, they took the step to do this, Uh, you know?
3: I just love like the goofy side of it, like picturing them setting their intentions, you know, like journaling with some crystals and doing some breath work and really just like manifesting. manifesting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They have a vision board. Yeah. I like like that. A vision board that's got like in one corner, it's got some like letters that they cut out of the newspaper that says like tenant protections. Yeah. I've got like some like magazine articles that have like happy people housing from Vienna in the southern corner.
2: (laughs) That's a deep cut. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So
3: I think your vision board would have no trees. Well like no palm trees. Yeah, I love trees. trees? I
2: love trees that provide shade, don't start on fire and don't kill people very often. (laughs) Yeah. That's my thing. Um Uh, Let's get into this, So, because I think a lot of this comes down to another theme we just keep touching on over and over again, and that is expectations management, which nobody in public office seems to be good at at all. And it relates to another finding this week from the Turner Center for Housing and Innovation at UC Berkeley that you took note of Mm -hmm. as well about analyzing the first year since Uh, The controversial SB 9, Senate Bill 9, was passed through the legislature and signed by Governor Gavin Newsom that, in essence, was described as ending single-family home zoning throughout California. It became a national discussion. New York Times wrote about a bunch of people because it it said, like, any single-family home zone, if your home is for one family on a plot of land— Then no matter where it is in California, you can divide it up into four uh, units, right? Basically, basically, sure. Uh, And they analyzed how that had gone since then because it was going to change the world. Yeah, and a lot of people said it would change the world. There was uh, we we collected some quotes of that quote: "truly meaningful legislation and a watershed moment in expanding home opportunities to more Californians." That was. Patrick Santana, another guy said, a despicable piece of legislation, a shameful contract for developers and speculators to take over California land. That's Jeff Sapphire. You, you collected some of these. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, um, so, so
1: good news, bad news. Yeah. Neither of those are right. Yeah. One year in. So <laughs> uh, bad news if you were really like gung ho about the the ending of de facto redlining. Yeah. Good news if you were, like, really concerned about the speculative tinder that this was going to be. Uh, Because one year in, the number of lot splits, times that somebody had a single family zone and was able to split it into two properties, that happened zero times in San Diego. Zero. Zero. As in none. None. None of them. None of the times. None of the times happened. So it didn't happen at all. Uh And then the number of duplexes that were built on properties that are zoned for single family homes which the law also allowed also is none of them so zero so zero as well so that in one in 365 days 52 weeks since the law went through it has had none effect at all on anything um so it was not a water, water at least not yet now you know, this is where I build in the caveat, so I can't get dunked on later after I'm doing all this dunking. Is that uh, you know maybe it's going to take a long time? Maybe developers need to learn how to use this. Maybe uh, the, there's like other stuff that people are working through, and mm-hmm. land there's property probably, decisions are are long running, and it's going to happen
2: later. Who knows? There are I mean, two easy explanations right now, yeah, right? One yeah, is sure. that local governments have already taken a lot of steps to allow people to. Build more on their land within certain areas uh, around transit, stuff like that, right? Right, and the the, the and the one most relevant to that,
1: uh, according to the Turner Center that did this analysis, and they talked to um, planners at different cities, you know, all of the cities that they studied, and one of the things that they found was especially in places like San Diego, that had really gone whole hog on allowing accessory dwelling units, granny flats, that that is more attractive to a typical homeowner than the SB9 lot split or duplexes. So people who are looking to put an extra housing unit on a property would be more likely to pursue those ADU options than they would be these SB9 options. And so they're sort of in competition with each other. And the, the, uh, invasive species as it were is the the adu ordinance that's that's winning out thank you for connecting that <laughs> so the Thanks.
2: the other reason is also a requirement that so one of the big champions if not the biggest champion of this at the legislature was our own state senator and senate president tony atkins yeah who um also to sort of handle some of the concern about it Attached to it, a requirement that you have to live on the property, right? You have you to,
1: have? In, so like if you, you know, you can essentially, you can go from a one unit to a four unit in this thing. What the this requirement made is you have to live on one of the units. Mm. So it's made to allow additional units for the homeowner who occupies that home, not, which essentially cuts the option off from any investor any speculator, any developer, um, anyone with money who's just
2: looking to build housing as, who is not somebody who's also going to live. There. So the way that we've built most housing is not allowed. Yes, exactly. Okay. That's exactly right. Okay. What you said. What you've said there. <laughs> I just want to be clear. So this is not the first time she's been at the head of, of legislation that was supposed to really have a major impact on housing in particular. Yeah. And that has not right so five years ago so now six years ago she led sb2 which added a fee on transactions within the real estate world mm-hmm. and um uh, we we decided to look in five years later last year to see what impact that had had and it had collected 1.6 billion dollars now remember when she passed it she said after today's vote i'm increasingly hopeful that relief is coming soon for hardworking people Bunch of other quotes like that about how big a deal it was going to be, and we found it it had very done very little. About eighteen percent of it had been distributed, and most of it to uh, uh, you know rewrite like community plans, which, as you've described, doesn't have much effect immediately, at least on these neighborhoods. And so maybe we should dial back the expectations when we pass some of these. Yeah. yeah, there's, there's no real, like. We could all,
1: at this point, basically just say, like, there's no immediate relief coming. Just say that for every law. Yeah. Like, today I'm, and we're all very happy we passed this law. But if you are out there thinking immediate relief is on the horizon, it's not. Yeah. These, all th- <laughs> these things
2: take centuries. Like, anything this short of literal, like, checks going to you is not going to change much. No. All right. Just yeah.
3: take the approach of, if you're going to Hawaii, you're not going to get engaged. Set expectations. <laughs> That's how cities should approach everything.
2: I can hear them. People are clamoring for our take on what happened at SANDAG. San Diego Association of Governments, of course, is like the UN of local cities. Each one sends their representative to there, and and you know they gather and decide how to handle not do things, anything. How, to, how to not do things, yeah, yeah. but spend tons of money yeah. the whole time and like really piss people off. But yes, <laughs> it's a very that's good actually a really one, good right? parallel. Yeah. So uh, the they do administer obviously uh, the transit sales tax and project and plan for transit going forward, transportation going forward. And uh, it's made up of these representatives of different cities who, when they're all gathered together, are peers. But uh, as we uh, helped sort of, I guess, instigate years ago when we uncovered how badly the organization had been um, managing and projecting its future revenues versus its future expenses and such. uh, And deceiving the public on its own knowledge of those failures. Defrauding. Defrauding. Yeah, in a way. Yeah. Uh, after we revealed that and they uh, it caused the scandal that it did, it was reformed so that um, the vote that these this entity takes on different issues is can be mostly controlled by the weight of the different cities that they carry. So if the city of San Diego has far more people than everybody else, it has a far greater weighted vote. Mm-hmm. And so while they look like peers and sit like peers on this board – They are actually not peers at all. In fact, they should visually represent it. Maybe like they could put like the smaller cities like like on in like the back with like like, like, very small person. (laughs) Yeah, get the small small
3: small notebooks, (laughs) small pencils, small chairs. Like
2: you have to Todd Gore is just like a giant person. Um, So uh, they that is now being used pretty regularly to make decisions um uh, and basically any time something significant is decided yeah so basically when they're just
1: like awarding contracts that goes through with the regular old vote yeah but when they're resetting policy in a way that some people dislike it ends up with the the weighted vote
2: or in this case they were deciding who the new leaders of the board were going to be and they wanted nora vargas and so they pulled the weighted vote. and She got it. She's the chair. She's the county supervisor, who's now the chair mm-hmm. of San Diego Association of Governments. And they wanted La Rivera to be the vice chair, and they pulled the weighted vote to pull that off. Mm-hmm. And so upset were the smaller cities that this was happening that they walked out. Ten of them, right? Mm-hmm. And stormed out. I don't know. You t- you you tell me what verb you'd like to
1: boycotted use. Boycotted
3: was good.
2: Yeah. Uh, storm yeah. out, I think is.
3: like yeah. storm out.
2: That's yeah. good. They stormed out. Yeah. And it caused a lot of discussion. Yeah. A lot of, and and a lot of people saying, "Oh, you big whiners." Right. And then others saying, "Like, thanks for standing up for our, yeah, you know, the little guys. Like, we deserve an equal vote." And then everybody's like, "Well, but that would mean that we get like three uh, hundredth of your vote." You know, right. all that stuff. Yeah. So, that's where we're at now. I think you have an interesting take, which is that. A lot of the people in the city of San Diego and and more progressive side are like, ah, sorry. Rules are rules. rules rules." We're following the rules. Uh, But this might be a harbinger (laughs) of uh, a big problem for this body to get anything done.
1: Yeah. So what I would say is that the the majority, by which I mean the people who represent the The brunt of the population of this county and are able to wield that through the weighted vote are absolutely correct that they have every legal authority to do what they're doing and that there's a perfectly rational, coherent, logical reason behind that legal authority, which is that if you did have every vote being equal then you would actually be giving the people of Del Mar more say, not an equal say, but a far unequal say in the happenings of this body, right? Mm-hmm. That is, which if, if I, I if note- they may act like a referee here, that's just an accurate argument. Yeah. The debate team, they win that debate. But I think you, you which interviewed- is why you,
2: I, I, you never hear the smaller cities actually engage with that argument. Well, I, but I think if you went to Del Mar voters and asked them if that's the way it should be, they they'd be like well yeah right like we should you know have a big say here yeah we or, are or we instance. are smaller than mission hills
1: a small community within the city of san diego and we should have equal vote to the city of san diego i mean richard Dreyfus n- lives nearby <laughs> yeah so i mean so look if i can just settle something like that they're right those are all there's true just, things there's just there's all true things the problem is they're the ones who want to do something. Mm-hmm. And what they want to do is pass a tax measure at some point because they want to bring in revenue to pay for their, plan, their transportation plans countywide. They want to use that local revenue to go fetch state and federal revenue and combine all of that in a big pot to pay for toll lanes and light rail lines and heavy rail lines and new buses and... Uh, bus passes for uh, minors and all kinds of fun stuff right and as long as they're the ones who want to do that they need to chart a political path that results in voters agreeing with their desire to do that and if that's a 66.6% voter threshold then like you can they can deal with basically no dissent Yeah, and even at a 50% they like need to seem like a functioning agency that is trustworthy and that listens to people and that at least the like the people on that agency agree that it has good sh- solid goals, right? And so they can be right about the legality of their weighted vote forever if they want. But as long as the minority board members can make the organization look dysfunctional and untrustworthy. They'll win because yeah. the vote relies on conveying trustworthiness, efficiency. You know the the yeah. idea that
2: that something good will come of this. This calls to mind uh, some journalism you did about six seven years ago about Sandag. Yeah, and the remarkable unanimity that the board had. Right. That yeah. it was pretty clear that there was that dissent was squashed before anything got public, that the executive director at the time, Gary Gallegos, had a preternatural ability to kind of get everybody together and to make sure that his way of doing things worked out and that it would produce this kind of milquetoast center-ish, you know, balance of transit versus highways that uh, they could all get behind in a way, and that that was while boring for observers and journalists was at least, you know, functional in a way. I think he understood and the board members at
1: the time, either because he helped them understand or because they too understood either way, understood that to do it, to, to be a, a countywide agency that passes tax measures and then pays for transport, that you have to have that. Yeah. you It doesn't work otherwise. That, that, it, it can't it can't function with that level of dissent. And so he basically saw his job, I think, as like Manufacturing. Manufacturing consent. that unanimity, manufacturing consent, basically. And that is in no small part rolled into the the scandal mm-hmm. that ended up reforming the agency. So these things are not like disjointed ideas. You might say Poorly managed expectations. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so like that story you mentioned, like the the unanimity of Sandag's board, that got me thinking because like what the question I was asking at the time was about Todd Gloria. And in fact, he was on the city council and council president and was also the Sandag rep. And Sandag at that time was seen by most progressives as pursuing an overly highway focused transportation system such that they were being sued by environmentalists for not doing enough to comply with state law. And at the same time, Todd Glory was like championing at the city this climate action plan that was going to like dramatically shift transportation patterns in the city of San Diego towards transit and biking and walking. And then he would go to Sandag and he would vote for the act, the actions there that progressives who were on his side at the climate action plan when he was in the city saw as overly highway focused, mm-hmm. and I was asking how how is one representative both of these things? How does he, you know, blend in and and do these and and do what is seen as conservative at Sandag, and yet lead and be seen as progressive when he's at the city when he is the same person in both times it's just one happens on tuesdays and one happens on fridays and you know basically the answer was that like i think the people on that board and the leadership of that agency saw unanimity as essential to the task of doing anything Mm -hmm. and they compromised and made changes in furtherance of that unanimity and it's all just so different than Hassan Akrata's approach which has been to when presented with with opposition instead of finding a way to fold that opposition in whether it's like sprinkling crumbs of funding to 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 win people over or to you know appear to listen to them and to you know give them something down the line or whatever I don't know how, how how you would propose to do it he instead says i don't count votes i'm just telling you the truth here we have to do this i'm i'm not in i'm not politicking i'm not going to do that it's just he has a completely opposite approach that gary gallegos had and i think we're we're now at an impasse where it's like are we just going to keep seeing the progressive group say we have the votes on the weighted vote to do what we want to do and you can keep whining and storming out if you want But it won't change the legality of how this agency is now structured, which is true. And if so, is the minority going to continue saying, well, then we will continue to withhold legitimacy from the agency as a whole. And you won't be able to do anything regardless of the legality of your weighted vote. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then like what is Sandak? What is is any of this
2: going to result in that anyone should care about? Well, it's a good question, uh, and I think, uh, yeah, it's the the choice is If you believe, like like Hasan does, that these are imperatives for the climate, for the future of the planet, yeah, and, and that and that it has to be this way. And I think maybe he would even
1: say that there's something like unethical about the like backroom yeah dealing that 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 manufactures the unanimity, and he's that he's it's ugly in a way that he's not going to do or something like or,
2: that. Or or on the other hand, is there like some sort of middle balance that he's incapable of doing that you need to find a replacement to do. And that yeah. gets, sets up the same question we've been asking for the last few months. Does he remain yeah. or not? Yeah.
0: We're going to take a quick break. On the other side, Andy and Andrea sit down with education reporter Jacob McWinney to talk about his UTK story. Stay with us. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD.
1: We are joined in the great Voice of San Diego podcast studio with our education reporter, once again, making his triumphant return to the show, Jacob McWhinney. Uh, so we had you in today because you wrote a story on Monday, it was very good, um, about another angle on the San Diego Unified School District's efforts to essentially create a new grade of public school, mm-hmm. yeah. um, the state of California has created a requirement that public school districts across the state add a new grade of public school, but mm-hmm. they gave them a, a a few years to to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the San Diego Unified School District decided, why wait? They started a new grade of public school right away this year. Yeah, for and, all and to be years.
4: fair, that it it did exist, but for a, a small amount of schools or yeah. of of children, a very select age group. But they expanded it. Right out to include four all four-year-olds, yeah. all four-year-olds, right. All or, right, earlier than the state required.
1: And so you've you've been reporting on this for a few months now, and you've uh, come at it from what some of the school board members have said, and how this has impacted, uh, you know, the private school system that feeds into mm-hmm. uh, what used to be kindergarten, mm-hmm. and how
3: parents are how
1: parents are dealing, dealing with it. it. Um, but we had an, a new. Stakeholder group who had their own interests and concerns. Uh, teachers, teachers at San Diego Unified. What did uh, what did you find?
4: Uh, well, I, I found that there are some concerns. Um, they the San Diego Education Association, the union that represents San Diego teachers or teachers at San Diego Unified, held a meeting um, to kind of blow the whistle on a lot of frustrations and concerns that 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 um, San Diego Unified. UTK teachers have with the way the program's operating. Uh, they center around their belief that it was rushed out too quickly, which essentially gave birth to all the other problems, which is that they don't have um, a age-appropriate curriculum in their view. Um, f- the curriculum that does exist, a lot of them feel was just kind of repurposed and very, very lightly touched up kindergarten curriculum, which wouldn't necessarily be right for four-year-olds who, who may not be that much younger on paper, but developmentally they are Mm -hmm. much younger. Um, There are staffing concerns. Folks just feel like there aren't enough people in classrooms, despite the fact that uh, um, San Diego Unified is abiding by the uh, adult to student ratio that the state set. uh, And there are also concerns about just material supplies, Mm -hmm. um, learning supplements that they need to to effectively teach four-year-olds
1: yeah the, this was a meeting of the san diego education association the school the teachers union they have meetings though right mm-hmm. yeah um was this a regular meeting and the topic this time around was how is you take utk going at midway through the year
4: no this was a a, a very special one um uh lamont jackson the superintendent was was uh in attendance along with a number of other top san diego unified officials and and the the union pitched it as their opportunity to you know speak truth to power. Uh, you know, yeah. they they said essentially this is our opportunity to 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 talk to him. We're not sitting down and listening. Um, and so it, it was really a large pitch by a lot of teachers. Uh, uh, it seemed like around a hundred, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Um, uh, teachers were in attendance, and it got by all accounts really emotional. Um, mm. I spoke to some teachers outside of. Uh, the The meeting after it ended, who said there were there was there were tears, there were people really frustrated by mm-hmm. by the the program, and these are people who who by their accounts were really excited for this opportunity to reach the youngest um, you know learners in the public school system, but were just really frustrated again by all of these things that they don't feel. Um, were approached in in the best way, whether that's that's inadequate, inadequate training, staffing, supplies, or curriculum. Uh, they just don't feel like the program is up to snuff, which is especially frustrating for them because they feel like they could have a really strong program.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's also relevant to some of your previous coverage, where you had um, Richard Barrera from the school district mm-hmm. school uh, from the uh, board saying, "This is an opportunity." to reverse or blunt some of the enrollment problems that San Diego Unified is dealing with. Exactly. Yeah. We have an opportunity here with four-year-olds who are going to be able to come into our school and our neighborhood schools specifically. People who may have choiced into some other school, may have gone into charter schools that are going to take advantage of this program. And if we can do a really good job and show them that their neighborhood school is great, mm-hmm. that, the, that, 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 this is part of the community and that it, it would be nice to go to the school that's closest to your house or um, that that it's worth t- staying here, that they'll stay. Mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm. By that same token, though, if they have a, a poor experience, it could just as easily repel people from the district. You yeah. know? And that and that is that was a concern for some teachers. Yeah. Um, it, you know, in, in and another big part of this is UTK was universal transitional kindergarten, this new grade was um partly pitched as this way to blunt the achievement gap to achieve greater equity in education, to have kids who now have access to this free, high quality educational experience at a young age. Um, but already across the district, it doesn't seem like all of these programs are of the same quality mm-hmm. uh, and and for you know, for uh, I heard from teachers that that it it's clear that for some, Families who inevitably may make more money, they have more options. They could send their kids to a more high-quality program, and and there was concern that that if that is the case, then this could do the exact opposite of of creating greater equity.
1: Yeah, and this isn't like <laughs> the teachers. It's interesting to to hear from them because you know that they have keen insight into multiple different school sites and and different schools probably have different experiences right but yeah if you'd have the bring in the entire teachers union they're going to be able to talk to you broadly about what's going in across going on across the district Mm -hmm. yeah so this is it's it's by it's certainly novel and interesting to hear that they have concerns about about this being rushed Mm -hmm. but it also is not Totally without it, like the first time we're hearing this, there's a school board member who has a kid eligible for UTK <laughs> who chose not to put them in UTK because they didn't think that the program rollout was ready. yet. Yeah.
4: Yeah. No, Shana Hazen um, at uh, at um, my school board debate at PolitiFest this year. You know, I asked her about about universal transitional kindergarten and she said, yeah, I, I just don't think that it's ready. Uh, I think that it'll get there. But I wasn't comfortable sending my daughter, which is, a, in my mind, a, a pretty big statement from somebody Jeez, who, who now yeah. represents the district yeah. um, and, and one that I think the district really, really should um, take to heart. You know, and, and Richard Barrera has has a, a school board member has admitted as much to me that that it is not perfect, that it's still a work in progress. Um, but he also believes that they will get there. But it's kind of baffling to me that they would be willing to bring thousands of kids into a program when they didn't need to yeah that is a program that is a work in progress by their own admission
1: yeah yeah so was there any sort of response either in the meeting or after the meeting by district officials about changes that are underway some sort of signal that they got the message mm-hmm. uh, that they're going to develop a curriculum or what have you.
4: Yeah. So from the perspective of the, of the teachers and from the union um, they were really demanding immediate action. Um, but they also, they, they feel that that immediate, that immediate action wasn't guaranteed. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jackson committed to creating um, a panel with, with um, or a work group or whatever artful phrase you want to use. Mm-hmm. Um, that, of course, yeah, exactly. Blue Ribbon <laughs> Subcommittee, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that included all stakeholders, including teachers, <laughs> to advise on any um, uh, changes going forward. But that really wasn't enough for a lot of the people that I spoke to, especially coming out of that school board meeting. There were folks who said, you know, they felt like by the end they were getting that sort of politician spin, the I hear you. We, uh, um, yeah. But they weren't really convinced that he actually heard them, yeah. you know, that that he understood. How difficult of a time they're having administering this program, and it's 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 important to consider, too, because some of these teachers are have never taught this mm-hmm. age group. Some are kindergarten teachers who move down, mm-hmm. and if they don't have that guidance, if they don't have that training, and the training was another thing that they were very frustrated about yeah uh, it 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 makes it very difficult because again, I mean, four to five doesn't seem doesn't necessarily seem like a big jump on paper, but developmentally, it's huge. Mm-hmm.
3: You so. talked about some of the teachers, um, you know, having concerns with the children being so small, like them even just having to go to the restroom is like a yeah. whole new thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Or like teachers not being able to take breaks.
4: Yeah. Teachers not being able to take breaks. And a lot of that is is due to um, they have a a, a, a ratio of, of 12 children for one adult. But during lunchtime, during recess, I mean, somebody has to go take a break there. Are, I, I spoke to people who said they have colleagues who just. Don't take a break, just don't eat lunch, just stay with their with their students and, and you know the, it creates the difficulty of i mean a lot of these classrooms they from my understanding at least they there aren't bathrooms in the classroom. I heard from somebody who said that sometimes kids just kind of have to like four year olds kind of have to wander the halls of a school to try and figure out where the bathroom is uh and and materials you know you go out to the to the playground these Monkey bars or slides or whatever it may be aren't really necessarily um, made for kids of this age, and so the, the the frustrations were were varied but but very significant. And the interesting thing I will say is that, and you know, again, this is from the perspective of the teachers, is is given all of this, they still feel like the program is good, uh, and and they still say that. Pretty much all of the feedback that they've gotten from parents has been positive. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I spoke to um, a, a mother whose whose child is at um, is at a UTK program, and she she loved it. She said that her kid's learning. I, I know that Andy, you've had similar experiences.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I have a kid in UTK, and it's been fantastic for us. The, yeah, he he's happy when we drop him off. He's happy when we pick him up. Mm. He's very clearly learning. He likes his teachers. He's made a lot of friends. Mm-hmm. We like really. It would be hard for us to to say too many bad things. But like part and part of this is you. You say like there's a big difference between four and five. There's a diff- big difference between four and four and a half. Yeah. And there's a big difference between four and a half and five. Like yeah. at that age, that's an eighth of their life. You know, the di- difference between the oldest kid and the youngest kid in a mm-hmm. class. You know, mm-hmm. it's big. Even it- even in that granular level in the classroom you know and,
4: it, and it's gonna get potentially even just like slightly bigger um from from what i understand and i i could be wrong on this but but next year school will start on august 21st mm-hmm. now kids have to be turning four by i believe september 1st mm-hmm. so next year there could be kids who are about to turn five and kids who are still three and about to turn four yeah. going into utk which is even a
1: uh, <laughs> Th- those are different kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've have, I've have a, a five year old and a two year old, and it's like so. It's not quite the same, but like those are different kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? they totally are. And it's
4: yeah. you know I I think the the benefits for some parents are very clear, mm-hmm. right? This sure. childcare yeah. is incredibly expensive, mm-hmm. and uh, one year less of having to pay for that is inevitably going to be a huge boon for parents. Yeah. Um. And again, I mean, even just uh, for the district, it's great for their numbers to have this new grade, but I think that there are bigger questions to to ask about if they're doing this right. If mm-hmm. it was the right thing to rush this thing out, and and I, you know, I, I say rush. That's the opinion of of many teachers, but you know, I I, I don't know if San Diego Unified the officials feel that that is a fair characterization
1: yeah well so there's another group here that i'm interested in, in if, if you've heard any of their perspective watching this play out is the people who the region used to count on for to educate their four-year-olds the the private overwhelmingly private preschool system so mm-hmm. you know so utk is an expansion of the tk program there were kids who were eligible for it if they were born in the right couple months mm-hmm. but otherwise if you had daycare if you had if you if you didn't stay home with your kid they went to a preschool a daycare something along those lines that was uh run by a private company or a religious organization Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. out of somebody's house um that was expensive um but that's what they did that that was their entire existence was taking care of people from four and under basically Mm -hmm. right and uh, they have been saying and you have covered this that that this is going to like put them out of business potentially yeah. mm-hmm. um, because of the the way the the math works about it the four-year-olds are essentially the most profitable of the age cohort that they serve and it's kind of a weird, weird
4: thing to say right yeah. <laughs> but but it but inevitably but it's, like it's true.
1: they yeah. they're the least labor intensive of the of the kids yeah because four-year-olds
4: require less adults than say an infant an infant right and Mm
1: so um they're struggling immensely from this and there was you know even you talked to the school board member richard barrera about this and he basically said yeah we think that's one of the benefits here we should take over that that job from from these from these private school systems because they don't pay their people very well and it's really expensive for the for the families that use it and so between those two things like that's where the state should come in that's where yeah. government I should Yeah I mean it
4: was it was come. really interesting to talk to him you know his his perspective is that the private childcare system is really is not even a system it's this sort of broken patchwork of private entities that are a way too expensive for parents and b pay um, providers next to nothing uh, and, and so it was his opinion that that the state should continue to expand out the public and in, uh, education infrastructure all the way down to infancy. I mean, uh, they already have one school, Logan Memorial um, Educational Campus, I believe. Uh, I, I forget. Mouthful. the Yeah, I, for, I forget the exact acronym. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, that. That is starting to roll out this model, right, yeah. of essentially they call it cradle to career. It's this <laughs> it's this big complex that that would serve from infancy to um, graduating high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, for his in, in his mind, it, it, it would be a win win. Right. It would increase. Um, public school enrollment, which, which, which would allow them to kind of combat this long-term trend of, of public uh, uh, enrollment, public school enrollment decline that is seen not only in San Diego, but all across the country. Um, And it would also provide cost um, free, you know, education and childcare for, um, for parents. Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, But as we're seeing with just one of those of of those age cohorts added, easier said than done. Oh, much easier said
4: than done. And I mean, if we think that if if clearly the district is is having a difficult time administering this new grade, maybe some of that is because they rolled it out so damn quickly. But if if we think this is hard, imagine expanding that all the way down to infancy, because now not only are you having to staff up in a huge way, but there's this organized curriculum that, that people may not have an experience with. And in his mind, you know um, he, he would hope that the state and districts would start to create these pathways that can smoothly transition people from private um, early childhood um, providers into the district mm-hmm. and continue to kind of uh, create a workforce from kind of the, carcass of this whole system yeah um but i i don't think that any of this stuff comes easy sure it would be a really really great thing for parents but i you know and, and it's it it is hard to to um discount how great of a thing free childcare would be for parents yeah. it really I, it it's impossible to overstate how much of a game changer that would be but administering these systems is 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 not easy
1: yeah i mean i imagine you know private preschools and and daycare in-home daycare operators large daycare operators saying looking at this looking at your this most recent story about the teachers union and pointing back to richard brayer saying this is not even a system it's just a patchwork that's built that's built up over the years and and saying okay you know let's see it let's (laughs) see see you be more than a patchwork yes you know and and um i'm being glib about that but but it's it's one thing to just say well we should replace this system it's bad mm-hmm. and it's another to, to actually be able to do it cuz patchwork as it may be the private school system is something that exists and has been able to operate for you know decades now and you know, that there are places that families have loved their experience mm-hmm. with their preschool and continue to have a relationship with them long into the future or organizations that we all know, like the YMCA or, or or whatever that 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 run those sorts of programs. Totally. and
4: And it is. I mean, you know, I think everybody would love if their car could fly. <laughs> but but getting to that point isn't something that happens overnight.
1: Um all right. Well, so what's what what's next? What's going on here? What's the what what do we what do we have our, our eye on on the, the the great UTK build up? Well,
4: you know, I'm I'm still digging. I think that there's a lot more story to be told. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm not exactly sure what is to come next, but I do have some other interesting pieces that I'm
1: working on. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye out for those. Jake McWinney, <laughs> thanks for coming in.
4: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego. Keep up with all of our news updates and investigations with the morning report. You can get that at vosd.org slash morning. Scott Lewis is our CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego. Andrew Keats is managing editor. Andrea Lopez Villafania is also managing editor. I'm Nate John, producer for the show. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.